Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, 1 million Bitcoin wallets are now being used every day. Finance IEOs are up 455%. And in our main story, we sit down and talk to Rob McNeely about small business, politics, and cryptocurrency. Coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? TGIF. It's Friday, August 7th, 2020, and Bitcoin is moving sideways again. It's turned into a stable coin, but it's a higher stable coin than it was before. I'm still really bullish. I'm really bullish because I see how many people are trying to get into the space right now. People are asking questions. People are being more engaged in posts and news in podcasts than it has been since 1718. So I am very bullish and excited about the market right now. And I have some advice for you guys. If you know somebody that wants to get into cryptocurrency, take some time. Carve out some time in your day, two hours or so, because it might take that long, to explain Bitcoin, to explain Ethereum, to explain what's happening in the crypto space right now, and help them onboard. They're going to be scared. They're going to be scared putting in their KYC and AML data so they can off their dirty fiat to exchange for some cryptocurrency, some digital assets, some digital gold, some electronic cash. So take some time. Help them. Be a mentor. Be a tutor, be somebody that be somebody that they can rely on to, you know, coach them through this and kind of, you know, just be a little bit of emotional support because I remember doing this myself and to upload all my documents to connect my bank account to a company I never heard of before, Coinbase, that is strenuous. So be that person that they can rely on and help onboard them into one of the most exciting spaces in the world right now. And now let's take a look at the cryptocurrency prices. And I'm recording this at 11.15 Eastern Standard Time. It looks as though we had a little bit of a pullback today. Bitcoin is sitting at $11,637, down 1.5% from yesterday. Ethereum, 386.25, down 2.8% from yesterday. Litecoin, 58.87, down 1.9% from yesterday. Bitcoin Cash is up though at 357.89, up four bucks from yesterday. 1.3% from yesterday and XRP 30.1 cents down 1.75% from yesterday. Rob, how you doing, man? Hey, Matthew, how are you today? Excellent. Thank you very much. Look, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to be all over the board. So if anybody who's listening, please uh, get a snack and hopefully you can you know, stay, stay up with us because we're going to talk about business and politics and cryptocurrency. And the first thing I want to start with is the $600 extra a week unemployment benefit that people have been getting. I want to know your opinion about if it was a good thing to start off with that stimulus package. What do you feel about it ending and no resolution in sight about how to proceed? Man, I think I think at so many levels, we're kind of screwed across the board. And I think this is just the whole stimulus and what I call a UBI, because that's essentially what it is. Those are kind of unprecedented. But I think ultimately, we have a more fundamental issue in the United States 
that makes this look good to people. And that's the fact that most Americans are financially illiterate. Yeah, and I don't mean that in, in like a throwing rocks kind of way, because I grew up financially illiterate, too, and I struggled for many years um, before I became more financially literate. And ultimately, I tell people COVID didn't make people broke. The pandemic didn't make people broke. They were already broke. 100 percent. COVID just exposed that fragility and the crash in what's happening in the economy and what's going to probably be much worse in the next couple of years, because I think we're not even anywhere near bottom yet. But I think ultimately, those are many problems that we've done to ourselves. And over generations where we're in debt, we spend, you know, everything we make. And if you look at the savings rates in the United States right now, it's like nil. I mean, it's been like that for years and years and years. And it crosses all demographics and income levels. This is what people don't understand. It's not just poor people, quote unquote, that are broke. It's middle, upper middle class. It's doctors and lawyers are just as broke because they spend everything they make. They don't save anything. If you, if most Americans would take a lot of the financial guru's advice and, you know, save up an emergency fund of six months to a year, we wouldn't be having problems in the United States right now. It would suck. But people wouldn't be like at food banks within two weeks. I mean, think about this. And I saw this, especially all over the country. You saw these drive through food banks where you had people literally driving $70,000 SUVs and BMWs within a week <laughs> of some of the lockdowns driving through food banks. 100%. Yeah. Look, you said financially illiterate. What do you mean? Let's define that term before we continue. Uh, people that don't know how to manage their money, that people uh, ultimately uh, spend every cent they make, they don't save, they don't invest. And that's endemic in the United States. You said the economy has not even hit bottom yet. What do you think that's going to look like in the future? What do you think that we're going to go through? What do you think the cycle is going to be? And do you think that's also going to be, going to include cryptocurrency? I, I would say this. I'm telling people to buy food because if you look at it across the board, the supply chains have been broken since January, since you know China shut down. That's one of the things that so many of us saw as an early canary in the coal mine. And we started saying, look... Um, you got to go out there and you got to put stuff away. You need to start preparing because this is unprecedented. Personally, my wife and I have been wearing masks voluntarily in public since February, since the end of February. And we saw this way ahead of what the politicians were kind of admitting there's a problem. But even now, there's so many signs that the supply chains, both globally and domestically or internationally and domestically, are broken. And my biggest concern right now for next year is going to be food globally. And why I'm concerned about that is that if you look at the main agricultural exporting nations right now, they're all having uncontrolled COVID outbreaks uh, right now. So that'd be countries like Mexico, the United States. Brazil and India. So for instance, India is the number two rice exporter in the world. They feed the Middle East and Africa their rice. Brazil is the number one you know, protein or meat exporter in the world. All these countries are having clear agricultural supply chain problems. In the United States right now, we're having that as well. And what's never happened, I don't think, at least in the last hundred years in the, United, in the world, where you've had all the major food exporting nations at the same time have lower yields. 
if my concern is valid, and like I said, we won't know till this fall, and if all those countries have slightly, even you know, five or ten percent lower yields, they're going to have less food to export to the other countries that are dependent on it, and we could have a global famine next year, and that is my concern right now. Uh, but you didn't answer my question about crypto. We're, we went straight from econ- economy to food. Food's a concern. <laughs> but are we going to go talking about new lows for Bitcoin? We're talking about $1,000 Bitcoin as well when everything just bottoms out? So here's the thing. And, you know, I say there's, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on that. And my take is this. And I've said this before, but most people are not going to hold cryptocurrency or high-risk speculative investments when it means losing their house when it means they don't have something to buy food with. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, when people are really going broke. So, so far, if we didn't have that $600 a week pandemic unemployment insurance floating the country for the last four months going on, I think we've already would have seen some really bad evictions and, and, you know, all the people defaulting heavily. So far, that's been a life raft. I'm I'm sure the government's going to create some other extension of that probably through the election because that's how politicians operate. So I would expect going into the winter and spring that those that UBI or that pandemic unemployment insurance will probably go away at some point. And then I think the wheels are going to come off the cart. Uh, on the economy. You know, to me, I always said a crypto would do really well in a down economy is if it was already being used for buying and selling goods and had mass adoption. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case with crypto. Well, I'm going to make two comments on what you said. First, is that more of like a doomsday sort of doomsday or uh, stock up your stuff? Let's be prepared for anything, guns, food, uh, kind of mentality, ammo. I mean, everybody ran out and bought toilet paper and, and 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50, 50 pounds of beans and canned food over this past uh, uh, spring, you know, going into COVID. And, and people are still hodling cans of food. I know nobody has a crystal ball, as you said. We've been kind of looking at this as though, you know, let's plan for the worst. We plan for the worst. We look for the worst. And then that doesn't happen. And we want to plan for the worst again. It doesn't happen. <clears throat> so we don't have a crystal ball. But is that more of like a doomsday or mentality? I think doomsday is probably an extreme view of it. Uh, I would say it's about being prepared. I actually organize a, a preparedness conference and a crypt mixed with crypto here every year in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I kind of, I'm in that world. And in Utah, it's very cultural here to be prepared for hard times. It's actually part of the the main church's kind of tendency is here that people should have a year supply of food on hand at all times for emergencies. Um, and so to me, I say this, uh, anything like that that you just described, the beans, the rice, the bullets, that's all about insurance. That's all it is. Um, if it comes down to doomsday where, you know, it's Mad Max, I mean, that's a different world. And I don't think we're facing that. I do believe that we're facing a whole lot of perfect storms when it comes to both the economy and supply chains. So, for instance, toilet paper, right? I mean, you can toilet paper anywhere now. It's in smaller amounts and weird brands, but you can get it now. And and why it's interesting why there was a shortage and why there continues to still be those shelves at the grocery store kind of empty is because the raw paper, the recycled paper that they use to make toilet paper actually comes from China. Most right. toilet paper in the U.S., most of it's actually manufactured domestically, but it's the raw material that's unavailable because that mostly comes from China. So that is why the shelves and the paper aisles at the grocery stores are mostly empty. So to me, I say we don't know what's going to happen to the supply chains. 
globally, both food, finished goods, consumer goods going forward. I think it's prudent uh, at this point because of that to stock up on things that you think you might need. Uh, I don't I don't say that's doomsday and I don't say that's in, in lieu of doing other things like investing and saving. I think those are prudent things too, but there definitely should be a priority to how you do those things. 100%. First thing, Utah is a beautiful state. I just drove through it for the first time last year. I think people really don't understand how beautiful Utah is. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Don't tell anybody. We don't want <laughs> stay, stay at your other, stay in your states. California, stay put. Don't go to Utah. Exactly. <laughs> but Utah is absolutely gorgeous. But going back to what, what you said is when we're talking about food and famine, I, I agree with stocking up. I agree with, you know, getting it now, making sure you have your BBB, your beans, uh, bullets, and well, I'll just put booze in there. And uh, Got that too. You know, <laughs> Got to have that. You know, if you're going to be bored in the house, you better you sip a little bit. I see that too in the supply chain. I mean, if you were paying attention and you're trying to buy anything during March and April and May, gym equipment or anything, anything that comes from China, even some clothing or things on Amazon, everything was out. You saw there was a disruption in the supply chain. So to see see or think that that couldn't happen to food or anything else, it, I think is naive. So I 100% agree with you. When you're talking about famine, though, are we talking about American-style famine? Or are we talking about actual famine? Because here's what I see in America. Americans get really cranky if they don't get or if they're not comfortable, if they can't get a latte, if they can't get, you know, extra cheese on their burger. Are we talking about just Americans can't get, you know, extra ketchup or extra uh, cheese on the burger? I think you're going to see it in different places in different extremes. I think when I say famine globally, I do believe it's going to be more probably places in the third world that are more dependent. Remember, the United States is a food exporter. So what would likely happen if we had lower yields, we would just export less but maintain our own supply, uh, you know, in inventory levels domestically. But a lot of that winter produce comes from Mexico. And so if Mexico is still having an uncontrolled COVID problem, people just aren't going to work. You know, their their absenteeism is driven by fear and illness. That means that one, it might be, you'll just have less amounts. And so that just means that the supplies will be smaller. So the price will go up and people who have more money can afford to buy that supply. And countries that are poor or are dependent on those exports will probably have problems. And so again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying is I'm very interested in what the fall harvest numbers look like. You know, one thing that we mentioned earlier, and I think it's a theme through this whole thing is is Bitcoin cryptocurrency and the road to mass adoption. The road to mass adoption is something that what is going to cause people to use cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in their day-to-day life. I don't see that has happened. Nobody's had a reason to, to be honest with you. There hasn't been a way or a reason for somebody to say, yeah, this thing is not working. This society is not working. We need to find something else quick. This could be it. I mean, when we say like, what's, what is Bitcoin going to do? Maybe this is the opportunity, everything you're saying right now for Bitcoin to say, hey, now it's my role. This is my time. Crypto doesn't solve a problem for anybody, for the most part. It actually creates right. them. Exactly. So, I mean, we're talking about learning curve, inconvenience, um, inertia. People hate change. You know, if people's debit cards work, why would they want to use Bitcoin or any other crypto? I'm not picking on Bitcoin. but And so, ultimately, if you want mass adoption, at least in the United States, you need to, one, you need to focus on actually doing outreach and marketing. And you need to do that outreach and marketing to people that have what I call a recognized problem with payments. And, and in the United States, there's only a couple of industries that really have, though, that, you know, they have a recognized problem. 
but those industries are distasteful to most people. So if you're going to go try to sell grandma on, you know, using Bitcoin to buy something at, you know, a craft store, well, that doesn't make any sense because her checks work or her credit card works. So, so you're wasting your time. You know, you've seen these activists and influencers out there trying to hassle Uber drivers and hassle Starbucks baristas to take Bitcoin or whatever. And I'm like, you're just pissing people off doing that, really, because you're not mm. solving any problems for them. You know, if you go and talk to one of the industries that are distasteful, that do have a recognized problem with payments, um, they're a lot more receptive to that. And I think ultimately mass adoption is going to start with the distasteful industries because they have a problem. Before we go further, d define distasteful industries. So if there would be things like cannabis and pornography and payday lending and refugees and immigrants remittances and uh, guns and, and things like that. In the United States, those are all considered high risk industries by the bank. All those industries are barred and prohibited by a terms of service from using any third-party payment option. Um, and in many times, businesses in those spaces are completely prohibited from even getting bank accounts. I like that we went over into business because one thing I really want to talk about as well is we're talking about hedging against the banks. We're talking about maybe a, a famine coming up. We're talking about uh, stocking food uh, and, you know, the economy going to go, going a, a little south, a little sour, you know, after the winter here, after the election cycle. What about people's businesses? What about their 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 own personal companies? What do you expect or or what do you, what should they do to hedge against all of this? Well, I, I would say it's like anything else, right? I think businesses are very they much they pretty much mirror how people's personal finances are, right? All of a sudden, if you're really bad at managing money in your personal life, you're probably not going to be better managing your money in your business life. So, but I would recommend ahead of time that businesses should also put away an emergency fund over time, especially when the times are good. And the times have been very good up until six months ago in the United States. You know, we had record low unemployment and, and people were kicking butt. And then all of a sudden, you know, during all that huge, you know, you know, great market, no one's putting away a little bit of money for the rainy day as a business. That doesn't make any sense to me. They didn't, you know, people were carrying massive loads of business debt, just like people carry massive loads of personal debt. So I would say it's like anything else. I think there's going to be a reckoning. And I think there's certain industries that are going to suffer because of just by their very nature, bars and entertainment venues, places where people gather in mass, those businesses are going to continue to suffer. Even if the government says open wide, oh, wide open, I think a lot of people out there are going to be concerned enough because of the virus that they're just not going to go. Right. So I think those kind of businesses are going to suffer tremendously and a lot of them will fail over the next probably year. I think we're going to be dealing with the pandemic for another year and a half, probably. Uh, given the way we're handling it or not handling it in the United States. So I would say you're going to see a lot of businesses go under. But on the other hand, there's going to be a lot of industries that are going to shine through this, ones that had a lot of cash. Apple, I mean, how many billions, hundreds of billions of dollars they had stashed away just sitting in cash? Um, but I think that businesses that can pivot, that can look at the opportunities here. Like, for instance, there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunities in redoing HVAC contracting and increasing ventilation in businesses. People that can go out and now certify that businesses are properly cleaned and disaffected. I think there's going to be whole industries that are going to be created to make, you know, and support reopening of the economy. You know, that's interesting that you said that. I, I've interviewed a lot of people during the uh, initial first wave of the pandemic uh, on my podcast called Coronavirus Talk. And I, you know, have a pretty good network globally. And I just, you know, talk to people from, you know, I think probably every continent about how they're handling and small businesses all said the same thing. If they're going to be successful is they had to innovate how they did business 
very, very quickly. I know, I know stores in California that, you know, just gutted the restaurant and turned it into a convenience store and did anything they can with masks or hand gels or, or anything just to make sure that they can pay their lease or the rent to keep that place open and keep their people employed. Absolutely. But I mean, even right now in a personal life, like so part of the, you know, the CARES Act is that they allowed uh, people that had student loans to have zero percent interest and not pay payments for six months. Though there's, you know, 10 percent of the population is currently on unemployment. There's lots of people that are, are doing fine, but they still took a holiday paying their student loans. My wife and I, that's like the only bill we have is our student loans. Uh, my wife went to medical school and stuff. And so um, we've been paying more on our student loans during this period because we're paying down massive amounts of principal. Look for opportunities like um, we just refinanced our house. I mean, it got a two and a half percent. I went from three and a half percent was it a great mortgage, 30 year. I just swapped over to two and a half percent, 15 year on my mortgage. I just saved a hundred grand in, in interest mm-hmm. and I'm going to pay my house off 10 years earlier. And I'm still going to do it again. If we go to negative interest, I'm going to refinance my house again. If I can get into the (laughs) like two or one and three quarters or whatever. So to me, it's the people that are paying attention for the opportunities right now are going to thrive. Rob, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. And you know what? We've been following each other on, on Twitter for, I think, over two years. And we've never spoken on a podcast. I think we should do this more often. Uh, You know, I welcome that opportunity, Matthew. Thank you so much. Awesome, brother. And in other news, 1 million Bitcoin wallets are now being used every day. The number of Bitcoin active addresses has reached a figure last seen in 2018, and this is because of the rising public sentiment. Data shows that smaller holders have been taking little bits of Bitcoin from whales. Let's empower the people. Several tokens that are launched via initial exchange offerings on Binance are on a tear, according to Masari. Over the past 30 days, some of them saw an increase of upwards around 455%. As a result, several exchanges are planning to conduct various IEOs in the second half of 2020, according to CoinGecko. Let's keep an eye out for those. And finally, I talked to GC, a Stratera community member, to talk about the $500,000 hack and how they are paying reparations to people who've lost their money. I want to have this conversation because I love positive stories about responsibility and taking responsibility in the space. We hear too much that people are getting hacked and just losing their money. Losing their funds sometimes could be everything they have is in crypto. But with a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of empathy from these companies, I think that we can find solutions to make sure that these hacks don't leave people broke. Here's a brief chat with GC community member of Statera. GC, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, man, I want to get right, in, right into this. I saw this on my desk the other day. It came out. An attacker steals 500000 worth of crypto from Balancer Pool. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yeah, our token was one of five that was uh, taken. Uh, it was a smart contract exploit. Basically, by using a flash loan, you were able to get all of one part of the balancer pool, uh, which made your one part much worth much more than the other parts. And so as you pulled out uh, an equal share, you were able to pull out all of it because your flash loan made it so you controlled more than 99% of the whole pool. You said smart contract exploit. I think that when people hear the word exploit with smart contract, we almost assume or feel that smart contracts are pretty safe. Can you tell us a little bit about that exploit or other exploits that might happen uh, in the future or might exist currently in DeFi or anything else that's being built on the Ethereum platform? 
Yeah, that's definitely a danger in this space of not realizing what smart contract you're putting your crypto into. And just last week, Vitalik was talking on the Unchained podcast about um, people not realizing, you know, with DeFi, like for instance, with our product, you can get double digit APY, but you are trusting that the smart contract is coded correctly and is secure. Um, And we've been able to fix that now and make it more secure. But as you're going to all these different places that are giving you better APY than traditional finance, um, which is real and they should be doing that because traditional finance scams much more off the top than they should. There still is, this is new technology and it's innovation and we're on the edge. Um, and so at times um, we'll definitely be uh, exploited um, as we build secure platforms. So when people get exploited, the risk is losing cryptocurrency, losing value, losing money. What are you guys doing in this situation. Yeah, that's another fascinating part of this new decentralized finance. Uh, It's when you look at decentralized, uh, you would think that there is less security and less support because there's no central party that's going to watch out for you. There's no FDIC that will insure your money. Uh, but uh, it's also decentralized as a, a community, right? You become your your brother's keeper. Each person is looking out for each other. And Balancer Labs did an incredible thing in partnering with us um, to look at uh, what happened uh, and decide uh, what to do moving forward. Uh, and so in this case, uh, we were both able to actually come together and refund the uh, entire amount that was taken at the time. So whatever the token amount is, we're returning those to users. And you know, some people thought that was a against decentralization, but vice versa, you could say it's actually in line with decentralization. And as Balancer becomes a, you know, a a, a DAO, a decentralized uh, autonomous um, group, uh, the community can make the choice to actually support each other. And there's some insurance tokens coming out and some in- insurance companies coming into the crypto space to start supporting these protocols um, and make them safer. But this is an early example of that, of uh, the community looking out for each other. Awesome, man. Awesome. You know what? The reason why I had you on the show and I really want to talk about this is because when hacks happen, we usually just call it a loss. We call it like, oh, oh, well, this is the risk of having your crypto. This is you lost your private keys. You weren't safe enough. We always want to like victim blame or we always want to say like the the technology isn't ready yet, you know? And I think that when people actually step up and say, hey, we got your back. We understand that this is a growing technology and find solutions to make sure that people's uh, money and, 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 and value is safe. I want to applaud that. Uh, And I don't think that's against decentralization. I don't think that's against the crypto ethos. I think that is just being a bro, to be honest with you. Um, uh, So I want to ask you a pretty simple question here. With these hacks, I mean, we just had a hack on Ethereum Classic the other day where somebody ran off with 800,000 Ethereum Classic and $5.6 million. What do you think that these protocols should do to prevent this or to compensate these losses? Because look, we're not going to have mass adoption if every time that something comes in the news, people lose millions of dollars and then you know uh, we expect people to trust cryptocurrency. What, what do you think we should do moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think just be upfront uh, about the, the risk uh, and be clear with everyone about what, what it is that they're putting into uh, and what are the positives, the advantages, um, and the negatives. Um, and on that positive side, you could add, you know, that we will cover losses if that's how you want to go about it, um, or you explicitly say that you won't. Um, and I mean, transparency is key, and that's a big part of um decentralization is becoming transparent with the structures of power 
Um, and so being transparent of here's what happens if X happens, here's what happens if, if Y happens. Um, and here's the things that we're doing to make sure that that things are right. Even in, in doing the solution, right, we had to be very transparent. And here's the solution that makes it secure. And if, you know, if ours is exploitable, then everything is exploitable at this point. Here's how the whole system works to make it secure. Um, and so being transparent with those, not just saying, hey, it's safe, trust us, but actually going deep into those things. Right on, man. GC, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to this. And, you know, I want to salute you. And this is sometimes that, but it's something we never do on podcasts and the news is to say, you know, good news. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, shout out to the developers of Stetera who took that step and shout out to the developers of Balancer Labs who also took that step. It really is a great example of, of how to do decentralization right. Right on, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. Remember to stay safe going into the weekend. And as Bill Burr says, an open mouth doesn't make you cool and strong. Use a mask. Remember to follow me on Twitter at the Decrypt Daily and also follow Decrypt at Decrypt Media on Twitter. Have a good weekend, folks. Let's hope for the moon. <laughs>